There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to a very special Egg Chasers rugby podcast. We don't normally do anything extra like this, but we've got a bit of a special one. Uh, The salary cap has become the hottest debate in rugby union at the moment. Massively important at all levels of the game and to the future of the Premiership and the Championship and, well, just rugby in in England and and in general. So the salary cap special on the Egg Chasers rugby podcast with me, Tim, with JB. Hello, Tim. And with Phil. Hi, Tim. So we've got... Damien Hopley we're going to hear from very soon. He is the head of the Rugby Players Association. We spoke about the salary cap a couple of weeks ago and we all, we're all all in favour of the salary cap. 100%. For different reasons. Yes. I would have a bit of a clarification in there that the level it's at at the moment does concern me given that uh, an English team hasn't won the Heineken Cup since about 2007 uh, when Wasps last won it. So that's the only thing I think it's restricting a little bit. But on everything else, I favour it. There are several issues that come out of this talking about a salary cap are English clubs able to compete with the French sides? Is it a good thing for the national team? Is it fair? And the fourth thing is, is it actually being adhered to? Mm. And Steve Diamond, the Sail Sharks director of rugby, has come out on the last point of, is it being adhered to? He stopped short of outrightly accusing people, but he basically said, it's not being dealt with. There's at least a couple of teams that are being investigated and they have, and I quote, their hands in the till. Creative accountancy mm. was the other phrase he used. So well, he did what... also point out, didn't he, that his young hooker, Tommy Taylor, was on more money than all three of the Saracens hookers, which is quite interesting. Well, no, I think that's alleged, isn't it? Yeah. He's not... He's not he that, got... That's part, not part of his official Has statement. Has he not said that? It has, uh... it has been... It has been touted and rumoured and yeah, but we can only go on what he said in official capacities and et cetera, et cetera. So let's let's keep it to to the facts. You're not on your own if you go, how on earth a bath fit in that squad into that salary cap? What comes out, and it's very interesting from Damien Hopley, is it's not all about the money, but it's about the general welfare and all the other benefits and the conditioning and, you know, making sure that the concussion protocols are followed and you've got enough rest time. And Phil brought it up in a podcast a couple of weeks ago that actually Dylan Hartley was offered apparently big money to go to France, but that would mean he would lose the sizable chunk of money he would get for playing for England. Mm. Yeah. If if he played 10 matches a year, £140,000 in a a calendar year for playing for England in appearance fees alone. Yeah. Not even endorsements that come with it. So he he came across as... Like, I'm being really loyal and... Turning turning down the dollar. Yeah, but actually, would they have paid them 
at least 140 grand more than Northampton. And he'll probably be on. And again, let's try and give an idea of, because we've heard things and we kind of know things. The average premiership player is on around about £100,000 a year. Well, as we'll find out in the the interview. As Damien Hopley says, you know, goes into much more detail, but the average salary is around about £100,000. And it's touted people like George North. Again, we don't know facts and figures, unlike top 14, unlike the NFL. You don't know what salaries are on. But George North, for example, is touted to be on around about £300,000 per year. So the very top players are on about £300,000 per year in terms of salary. The point on this, the um, transparency, is a really interesting one. Because... It's not transparent at all in the Premiership at the moment. We, we just have no idea what... It anyone... is actually in the rules that you're not allowed to mention who the marquee players are. If, and they're being investigated apparently, allegedly, but if indeed, using as Steve Diamond put it, creative accountancy, we've talked about it before in recent seasons, Less... on the bottom line figure that gets submitted to the RFU is, yes, that's that's part of our salary cap is X thousand pounds, but they're getting X more thousand pounds because their wife has a job as a receptionist in the club as well at a big, heavy rate. And also they're getting consultancy work, in inverted commas, from a big sponsor of the club. How do you stop that? Should you stop well, that? Not really, no, because if a local business wants to take you on PR purposes or something like that, I mean, I think that's completely completely legitimate. As long as it is, that's what's actually happening and it's not just uh, these kind of full rules. Cause we, and this is one of the things that the top 14 has got right. Everything is transparent, com- completely. A central governing body who deals with all the accountancy side, they investigate all the clubs, everything is over and above board. But then the clubs can use the players' image rights and that kind of stuff to get them external deals like they had with Wilkinson and the J10 stuff that, that Toulon were selling. So that can supplement the wage, but it's only based on the strength of that player's brand, effectively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That kind of transparency means it's a good thing. Whether their £10 million salary cap is, or €10 million Euros or whatever it is, is the right thing. But that the transparency, the at, transparency. Least, at least is absolutely spot on. And yep. that's, that's what we all want. We all want that information. The Premiership is by far the best rugby product in the world, bar none. Super Rugby is pretty good. I love Super Rugby. Yeah, but they've still got the very weak. They've still got their very weak teams. Have still yeah. You know. Exeter got promoted to the Premiership and then had rough, <clears throat> roughly one and a half million pounds in central funds, significantly less than the three and a half million at the time that teams in the Premiership were getting. So they were less than half when they got promoted. The way that they managed to survive was via a rich benefactor. London Welsh, they got £1.7 million from central funds. Over £4 million established premiership clubs are getting. They're actually threatening legal action because they say that's inadequate, it's unfair, and how can a professional team operate on less than half that its competition has? And it'll be interesting to see whether they do get anywhere with that because it, it creates an unlevel playing field where it's already unlevel because they only found out they were coming up to the Premiership on bigger, when, yeah. whenever it was, 30th of May, first week in June. So all the other clubs had already done their recruitment from January. Bristol and Worcester are sat in the Championship with three and a half, four million pounds per year in the Championship. Yeah. Whereas yeah. other Championship squads, London, Scottish and Nottingham, who are below them in the league in third and fourth position respectively, are on £350,000 <laughs> per year. Oh my word, God. is that right? Yeah. Oh, that's nothing, is it? It really is nothing. If we could sort of summarise and distill our, our opinions, there's the alleged salary cap abuse by some clubs. Yeah. 
which which is made possible by the fact that it's not transparent. So make it transparent. And do you think the RFU have to show some teeth if they do find that these clubs are out of line? Point, Ab- points docked Ab- severely? Absolutely. Yeah, there was a few cases in France from 10 years ago or so where people were relegated because of it. Oh, that's all right. Yeah. So they've got to do something pretty serious if clubs are... On the subject of London Welsh and the disparity in funding at the lower levels, is that something the RFU need to work out? 100% should be. It makes yeah. no sense whatsoever to think that you get more funding the longer you're in, you're, you're in the Premiership. It should be the other way around. So the longer you're in the Premiership, the bigger stadium you've got, the more connections you've got with the local community, everything else. You need more money coming up than you do if you're... Le- I mean, Leicester, what, what did Leicester and Northampton need that, that, that extra money for compared to London, Irish, uh, London Welsh? The competition has to be consistent or yeah. it's not a competition. Yeah. On one hand, they're saying the salary cap to increase competition. On the other hand, you've got the disparity like that. So it's, it's just contradictory, isn't it? And finally, on the subject of the salary cap at all, there is no debate there. It's it's a good thing for the England national team. It's a good it's thing. Good team for it's a good thing for a competition for a competitive competition. It's a good thing. Every one of the games that we watched this week were either upsets or very very close. Bar one, by the way, the team which didn't have any money. Stark contrast to football, to the. The, the premiership in, in, in football and in fact most other European sports the only sport which runs like this is the NFL which is all about parity Right, final job before you hear from Damien Hopley who knows a thing or two about all this um, a few little facts which are quite dry to be honest so I thought right, if I give you some dry facts about the salary cap but some jolly music there you go see that'll make up for it uh, Right, salary cap current salary cap base level is £4.76 million for Premiership clubs. That's going up to £5.1 million next season. You can earn academy credits of about a quarter of a million pounds. That's going up to £400,000 per club next year. And the way you get those academy credits is by producing young players, is the easiest way to put it. £30,000 per player towards their salary that then doesn't take up the cap space that you can then spend elsewhere. I think we should hear from someone who really knows what they're talking about. Uh, this is Damien Hopley, who firstly explained to us why he set up the Rugby Players Association. It was about um, 16 years ago, so I was captain of the England Sevens team in Hong Kong, picked up a very serious knee injury, and uh, the the palpable lack of support I received from the rugby union at the time when I was captain of my country uh, inspired me and motivated me to uh, found the Players Association, and I've been running it ever since. I guess I was probably the first high-profile casualty of the professional era, and that was sort of 96 to 98. Um, so, uh, you know, I think a lot of people thought by signing a contract they would have significant protections and welfare provisions, and that wasn't the case. And I guess as a as a youngster growing up, you always think, well, I want to leave a, mar- a lasting impression on rugby, and I'd always hope that would be on the field. As it happens, it's probably off the field. I suppose the most topical thing at the moment is probably the salary cap. And yeah. As- Quite, uh, I was quite taken aback that the RPA came out in favour of it, although I understand why you did. Um, yeah. Do you not think that's a fairly peculiar position for the RPA to take? Well, we, we put this out to the players, and, and you know we, we represent the players, and obviously the players' voice is paramount to what we do. And from our perspective, we went out based on what Saracens had said. Clearly, the, 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 the salary cap is a restraint, Mm. Um, but we also see the worth of that and we're in discussions as, as discussed this week in the Times we're in discussions with the league at the moment about ensuring that we have necessary enhanced protections and welfare provisions around insurance mm-hmm. and contract termination 
uh, and also development uh, programs to help players once they finish playing. But what we want to have is a viable industry. So yeah. um, what the salary cap serves is a very key function around ensuring that we have an industry that will actually be durable, will last the test of time, and will not be here today, gone tomorrow. As, as I said, since day one, when we set up the Players Association, you'd rather have an industry that can flourish rather than one that is, you know, really uh, hit or miss and guys are back on the tube tomorrow morning and back into the real world. So it, it might seem a peculiar stance, but I think we all recognise as an association the value of taking a mature approach to it and ensuring that we have some stability within the game. Yeah, I mean, looking at the most successful sport which employs a salary cap at the moment, I mean, you're probably looking something like the NFL. Um, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm aware with them, uh, there are certain provisions of salary caps, so they've got to spend 95% of their salary cap for each club, and it's also linked to league revenue. Without giving yeah. away any of the state secrets, are the Players Association considering measures similar to those? Well, obviously, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. So we've looked at a lot of um, situations around the world. The, the NFL work under the auspices of a collective bargaining agreement. Mm. It's absolutely our intention that we have a collective bargaining agreement in place looking at linking the revenues of the industry. And now we're not just talking about the clubs here. We're talking about the RFU as well to um, the um, resource for the players. And, and that resource for us really is more about the sum of the parts and the bottom line pay packet. So when... The England World Cup finishes on October 31 this year, and we all hope England lift the World Cup. What we don't want is a mass exodus from players going to France because they get paid double over there. What we want to do is ensure that we're competitive around what we can pay our players, that the England players get suitable reward for not only being in England, but actually playing for England. And then also there are significant investments into the welfare provisions, into insurance provisions, so that players, at the very least, will think twice about a move across the channel. From that perspective, we, we believe that it's in English rugby's best interest to retain and recruit the best players by providing some of the parts package and just saying, we're going to pay you a million pounds a year to play for your club. You've got to sort of look at it across the across the piece and not just sort of say, well, it's about you know getting paid a million pounds a year that Dan Carson's allegedly getting coming to Racing Metro. It's about what will the players get? What are their opportunities so that players... And actually players even coming out of schools can look at rugby and say, actually, that's a really viable um, career path for me. It's not just about, I want to go and play rugby. It's actually, I want to go and play rugby. I want to go and get well looked after. I'll have great welfare provisions. And when I'm finished playing rugby through the development programs that we that we have in place, the RFU, Premiership Rugby and ourselves invest into, mm-hmm. I'm actually going to have a great opportunity to go and start another career, be that in rugby or in the wide world. I, I think the, the two things that I would want to know is, A, how much am I likely to earn? But also, B, how long am I likely to be at my peak earnings for? Yeah, well, that's a great... I mean, that's a $64 question. So the average salary in the Aviva Premiership now is about £100,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you compare that to Premiership football, uh, that's about thirty-two grand a week. So um, clearly the, the scale there is based on broadcast rights and media values. So... Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've obviously seen a significant uplift in terms of BT. We've got the Champions Cup in Europe now. We've got a you know, a home World Cup that will generate probably in excess of £150 million profit for the game. So still small beer by comparisons to our round ball cousins, but certainly significantly increased from where it has been previously. I think that the issue around um, length of career, you know, 
know, is, is the sort of crystal ball question. Mm-hmm. We, we don't, yeah, we're looking at getting stats on what the average length of career is, but you've actually got a lot of players now moving either overseas or into the championship. So at the moment, that those stats are sort of are, are coming together, but clearly um, the, the challenge is, you know, how can you, you, you won't get many Simon Shaws who play 20 no. seasons anymore. Um, what we have, unfortunately, what we have seen in the last, Four years, as we've seen 100% in the number of retirements due to injury and mm. illness. It's not particularly a pleasant note to think, but it's just the reality. And I think sometimes rugby relies a bit too much on anecdote and not enough on data. So we're trying to work very hard with the mm. league to actually come up with those sorts of stats and um, just paint the picture of what it looks like. Actually, the, the way you play the game is as important as what you see out on the field. So um, I, I think it's a really big issue and, and something that certainly we... As a professional game, clubs are a few in ourselves are acutely aware of. I think the way Stuart Lancaster has transformed what was a pretty uh, toxic situation with England back in 2011 after the World Cup, and indeed at the RFU itself, I think the way that's moved forward is a really uh, encouraging step. So there's um, there's plenty to do, but uh, I think this is where we feel that we need significant investment into trying to educate our players and, and connect them with rugby at a club level um either in you know i played in the amateur era mm-hmm. when Moss were one of the top you know 12 clubs you know and oral were very big coventry were big performance mm-hmm. previous to that but you know you look at leicester i think what they've done incredibly well they've really kept that connection with the former players and the current players and i think that's incredibly important for our current players to remember you know who who went before them to actually create the game that is there now and um, if we lose track of that, I, I genuinely feel we're on a slippery slope. And on the Leicester one, what's a fabulous uh, example of that is I, I've been to watch a couple of games at Leicester and I've been in the players' bar afterwards and, and, and Matt Hampson's there quite a lot and you talk about player welfare and the fact that he's still a, a massive part of the community and so I, I think Leicester's a, a brilliant example, as you said. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, Matt, Matt Hampson has to be one of the most extraordinary young men I've ever had the privilege to meet and to see what he's gone through and um, come out the other side of, and, and and you know, in terms of his sort of human spirit, and it's, it's ten years this year that he had his catastrophic injury, and I think the way that Leicester, in stark contrast to the RFU, rallied around and supported him, and showed really what being a, a Tigers player was all about, speaks volumes for that club, and I don't think they've really, they, they they haven't lost sight of that as a as a professional club, and I think in many ways when the game went pro, everyone said, oh players' attitudes will change, they'll become disloyal, they'll just become mercenary. And I don't think that's happened. I think rugby has still maintained its sort of core value. And, um, you know, I I always say, probably not very PC, but the great thing about rugby is someone does step out of line, you can just whack them. It tends to to ground people quite well and quite quickly. And, yeah, you think about previous incidents with with Josh Lucy and Danny Cipriani at, at Watts and all that sort of stuff. But I think, you know, that there is that sense that players are well they self-police well and they ensure that 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 sort of culture uh, can endure in in line with um player player, player welfare a huge issue yeah. which i see is fixture congestion and yeah. just a sheer amount of games that top players have to play so yeah. where, where is it the rpa with um central contracts and B, the sheer amount of rugby which players uh now now have to play whether it be league handling cup or international yeah, so I think you know the, the, the central contract debate is dead. I think the RFU missed the opportunity back in '95 to central contract players on a long-term basis. They 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 missed the opportunity. The horse has bolted, and 
you know, central contracts is dead in the water. I just don't think it will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the, the number of games is a big issue. And, I, and the concern is that as we see retirements go up, that we're still in this sort of twilight zone of playing more games. Um, what we have seen recently, we saw attendances are up just under 2% this year. Um, we've also seen my old club move up to Coventry, so yeah. attendances are up there. You know, rugby's moving in the right direction, but for us, it's always about less is more. Damien Hopley, head of the Rugby Players Association, talking to us uh, about the hot topic of the salary cap. This is, uh, understandably, a, and as you've heard, a totally different sounding Egg Chasers podcast to what you normally get. Um, it'll be back to normal after the weekend's rugby action. Don't you worry about that. But hopefully, you've kind of got a idea in your head of what is going on with this whole salary cap debate and with players talking to clubs and salaries being banded around and big name players and marquee players and all that sort of thing hopefully it's some sort of navigation through that system has been done just to summarize then Damien Hopley I think the the biggest thing to take away is the fact that it seems like there's a lot of effort being made to stop English players moving abroad after the World Cup there's a lot of southern hemisphere guys coming to the north maybe not as many as we feared there might be moving from England to France and part of that is because the salaries will be competitive but it's not all on the salary it's on the whole package not playing too much the conditioning the welfare looking after your career beyond the playing career that you have and the other thing that Damien Hopley mentioned is that the senior players are kind of looking after the guys coming through at the lower end who aren't on the wages they're on currently by being in favour of a salary cap which might limit their earnings but it looks after everybody collectively and that fits in with this feeling that rugby has a special culture that needs to be looked after and that's something that Damien Hopley says they're working really really hard on and one way that clubs can do that is by keeping as the money increases keeping their eyes on the past and where the club has come from as well as where it's going. He mentioned that the salary cap is also important for clubs avoiding going insolvent like the likes of Otley and Oral in the past and Richmond and the like and that the club owners have bankrolled a lot of clubs. What we've heard in the past is Northampton, Exeter and Leicester are the only clubs in the Viva Premiership that are in profit. And Damien Hopley also mentioned there's a deal being brokered currently between the Premiership clubs and the RFU whereby as the game gets bigger, the clubs get more money and you'd think, therefore, bigger salary caps. As for whether any clubs have abused the rules, broken the rules, or as for whether it's fair the different levels of funding that clubs in the Premiership or Championship or promoted or relegated get, that isn't really anything Damien Hopley could speak to us about. Those are issues which are going to rumble on and on. Maybe in a courtroom. We'll wait and see on that one. Uh, Your reaction, your thoughts at Rugby Podcast. You can find us on Twitter and we will see you on the next podcast after an amazing weekend of rugby. So enjoy it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.